0: Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. A betting site with a difference. Not only are we offering the best available odds on a United win, we've also got exclusive special bets created by Reds. And as we share half our net profits with the United supporters community, no matter what, the fans can always end up winning. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet, about fans, by fans, for fans. Right, so we've got some of the United We Stand team here. We've got Andy you've been listening to, he's the founder and the editor, we've got Steve Armstrong who presents the podcast, writes and sells the mag, we've got Ant Shaw who's in charge of selling, contributes to the podcast and also writes articles, and we've got Dave Goddard who's one of the longest serving writers for United We Stand. So I'm going to start, We're going to talk to everyone, we're going to start off with Andy. Andy, just tell us a little bit about United We Stand, how it started.
1: We started United We Stand in 1989, felt the Football fans didn't have a voice, and I was an angry young man who felt that ticket prices were rising, the, the, the facilities at the stadiums were terrible. I can remember going to Nottingham Forest, it cost four pounds, and I was earning two pounds twenty on my paper round. And the government treated football fans like shit. And that was a that feeling sort of propelled the first football fanzines in, in Britain. And we produced the first issue, we printed 50 copies, we photocopied them. Uh, it was absolutely terrible. I apologise to anyone who bought it. But it picked up and people started buying it in increasing numbers. And 29 years later, we're still going. We've produced 282 issues. The lads outside the ground sell it through the wind and the rain. And this season, there has been a lot of wind and rain in Manchester. And we keep it as cheap as possible. We want United fans to, to be entertained, to have a good voice, to provide something a bit different to what you might see in the newspapers. Jose Mourinho go, gave his... Jose Mourinho? Gave his first interview to United We Stand. Um, Ed Ed Woodward. Ed Woodward gave his first interview to United We Stand. Richard Arnold, the, the club's managing director doesn't do much media. He gave an interview to United We Stand. So our readers tend to be hardcore United fans to go to a lot of games. We've got subscribers in 34 countries around the world. And we wouldn't be able to do it without a huge team of people chipping in, selling it in the rain, people writing, people producing the podcast. It survives off that energy of probably 30 or 40 people. And we're always open to ideas, to new writers, to great stories. And we just try and provide something that you're not going to get anywhere else and lots of fanzines have struggled print publications have struggled but we're doing all right i think it's still really enjoyable to be part of and we still get good exclusive stuff like in the next issue we're going to say that you know, united are signing Messi in the summer so people will read that in the fanzine for the first time <laughs> next question just
0: um, you mentioned that about print that's obviously a, an important part of magazine yes there's a digital copy but the print side is obviously important to you as
1: well I love print and I see parallels with people who love vinyl records and it, it depresses me a bit when I get on a train and a plane and everyone's now on the screens and that's the way it is now I accept that's life but I still think there's something fundamentally beautiful about a paper product that you can pick up at the game and put it in your pocket and read stuff that you're not gonna find Uh, anywhere else and we've got writers from the best writers from the Daily Telegraph which is one of the establishment newspapers in Britain to people who are from the poorest parts of Manchester who would never have got a break and we give them a break we find talent and we find it young and old, male, female and we give people a chance and we're proud of that but obviously people want to see it in digital now as well and if you're subscribing from abroad it's very expensive with the cost of, of, of the mail. So we have, to, we have to move with the times. We have to provide digital stuff and we're, we're fine doing that. And
0: Ant's going to be going around later on, around with some magazines so everyone can get a copy if you want to buy a copy. Um, talking about the podcast, everyone's here tonight. We're recording a podcast. When did you launch that? Was that an easy decision?
1: We could see podcasts were taking off and we started doing the United We Stand one in uh, 2012, interviewing people and. It started going well. We've had some really interesting people and people who you might not expect a Manchester United fanzine to interview. Some of the more memorable ones, Neville Southall, the former Everton goalkeeper. And um, We have a little bit of money to offer guests like 50 pounds and Neville Southall, he was a great goalkeeper in the 80s, but I grew up singing really bad songs against him on the Stretford end. And Neville Southall said, well, I used to stand on the Stratford end because I loved watching Manchester United and I felt really bad and I said we've got some money for you and he said I'd prefer it if you donate it to the association of former Manchester United players and I left that interview thinking what a great man Neville Southall is and it's since proved that, he's got a real sort of social conscience and I think if you... One of the biggest surprises I had, and I was wrong here, I went to the Manchester Derby and I was looking for people who looked like idiots who supported Manchester City. And I went up to a man dressed in Manchester City pyjamas with a Manchester City lunchbox and I thought, this is perfect. (laughs) This man has clearly fits every negative stereotype that United fans would have of City fans. And I started interviewing him and I didn't tell him what he was for. And he surprised me a lot because he spoke glowingly about the great Manchester United teams of old, how he detested songs about the Munich air crash, how he respected United. I was a little bit ashamed of myself, partly because I didn't tell him what he was being recorded on. And we published it, and everyone was just like, wow. 70 years old, he's famous, the guy. Uh, I'm not gonna say that anyone should ever dress like him. (laughs) And he does look like, you know, he's had an interesting life, (laughs) being polite.
0: Um, I've got a few quick-fire questions we're gonna ask all the guys here. Um, Your first United game that you attended, can you remember that?
1: Um, 10 years old, despite growing up two miles from Old Trafford. My dad never took me. All my family played football, so I was watching football every week. From the age of three, my dad said, I play, I'd rather you watch me play than United. I begged him to go to the 85 Cup Final. He wouldn't take me. I had to pay for him to go to the 90 Cup Final. So yeah, 10 stood on the stretford End, and as soon as I was 13, I was going every single week, and by the time I was 15, I was going away. And I think in the 90s, every single game, Who's your, your favourite all-time United player? Roy Keane's the best midfielder I've ever seen. But there's been so many brilliant, brilliant players. I love Ryan Giggs. I think Giggs is, I'd think i love Giggs to be manager of United one day. Um, and I know a lot of people wouldn't. But there's been so many. Paul Scholes was absolutely brilliant. Um, as a kid, I used to love Sharpie. He was a great player because similar age to me. Just scoring great goals in a brilliant young United team. Um, but there's been so many. You've obviously watched United over the years, you've gone
0: all over the world watching United. What's your, your favourite match that you've been to, your best memory of watching
1: United? Been fortunate to see United in 43 countries. The best game is Juventus 2, Manchester United 3. I watched that, United went 2-0 down against the best team in the world, with we've Sedan, we've oh that's a great Juventus team, and came back and reached the European Cup final, and I was sat in the main stand, and I can't speak Italian, but the Juventus fans around me were basically saying what I took to be, your team are brilliant, and I was the proudest man in the world at that. Even better than the final. I'm sorry, I know I'm supposed to say Solskjaer scoring, but I've never had a high as high as Juventus 2, Manchester United 3. Good stuff, good stuff.
0: Steve, I'm going to speak to you now. Just tell us a little bit about how you got involved with United We now. I've yeah, um, been writing for it for
2: about 40 years, um, and then obviously selling it in- out. I kind of went back on the selling to keep myself out of trouble basically because I was just getting absolutely wank at home games (laughs) (laughs) and and away games as well. And I thought my body just can't keep me doing this. So I kind of, it was almost like a bit of therapy. So I went back out selling them out. But it's like if you've got a busy life, the actual opportunity to stand there just watching the world go by for a couple of hours, meeting great characters, and it's actually really, really enjoyable. Um, It can get a bit challenging during the sort of winter months when it rains non-stop and it's freezing but so um, i do really really enjoy that it's a bit like it's almost like around the golf for chilling out so i've been selling it for a while um, and i really enjoy doing that but The podcast is an interesting one because obviously um andy has started the ball rolling um and i've been a guest on there a the number of times me and andy chat a lot um, we're good mates we've got back a long way but we also you know andy's very very passionate about a fanzine and i'm really really passionate about being involved in that as well it was really important that we tried to do something that kept the printed mag alive, but we didn't do something digitally that put that at risk. So we came up with this idea of, of doing this, this podcast. Now Andy had started it off, and you, know, it, you can find yourself very, very quickly with this, doing the same thing week in, week out. And we had a bit of support at the start. So I sort of said, the new thing with Andy is, because he, he's, and, uh, you know, he stands his thing right. So he's had it all his, all his working life. Um, he's obviously, always had control over everything and how it happened. So for Andy to give us the trust to sort of get involved was a really, you know, it was quite a big stain in that. So we'd sort of talked about how do we take this to the next level. And I said, listen, there's a real market here. There's an opportunity here to take the real raw match day experience out to people. Um, because ultimately people will want to listen to the match. People will want to watch match of the day or the summarizing programs and talk about the tactics and the formations and all that kind of stuff. But and then they may want to listen to a pundit. They'll trot out the same stuff, the corporate stuff, the stuff they have to say without upsetting anybody. And, you know, it, it kind of just turns into bollocks, really. So what ends up happening is, is we said, look, there's a market here to capture the absolutely the most beautiful thing about going in a match, which is the fan experience. So we came up with this idea of actually just physically turning up at games, and we call it doorstepping in the UK. I don't know what you call it here, but you literally just stand in front of someone and go talk and ask them questions. And they can't prepare for that, and they can't rehearse that, so you get some absolutely splendid answers from people who, let's face it, have been drinking for about 14 hours. Many of them have been taking high class A drugs, uh, hallucinating, various other things. We can do that because we're fans, so we're not claiming to be anything else. Whereas journalists have to behave. And I think what we've got now with the setup is Andy obviously does the good stuff, <coughs> the professional stuff, because <laughs> he's got a reputation to protect. I could actually stand there without fear and, and cause absolute chaos basically by talking to lunatics. And <laughs> we're surrounded by it. So we just started really doing some recordings on the bus, talking to characters, and we've had some unbelievably funny stories that have been talked about. But you can't beat that raw post match opinion because it doesn't have to be right. You know, when somebody sat there watching match of the day for five hours and you have had all this time to prepare, it should be right if you've had time to think about it, but, you know, you talk, you get people coming straight out of the stadium and I'm sticking a microphone in front of them going, what do you think of the game? And all they can do is talk about what's currently in their mind at that time. And if, you, like Gatsa said, if you've been drinking for all of that time, it can often be something that's really <laughs> spectacular. And it's been, you know, it's become really funny. I, I'm incredibly proud of the feedback we get because I don't claim to be a journalist, I'm not a journalist, uh, what I am though is, is I'm a fan, and I'm really passionate about taking the fan experience to people who can't be there, because I'm, I'm a real believer that football shouldn't be something that excludes people. I think football should be a broad church. I don't believe for one second that being born in Manchester means that I'm any more credible than the people in this room as being a Manchester United fan. I really truly believe that, because some of you guys probably <laughs> not I so, yeah, think, to, to go into a game with me, you probably know more about the club than I'll ever know. And, you know, you've got to respect that. So, it's kind of our way of giving back to the people who just can't be there. Because, we can, you know, the team can share, the manager can share, the players can share, but it's very, very rare that fans get the opportunity to share. So, we've got this platform now that can take the real, raw match day experience out of the ground and drop it into people's iPhones, stereos, front rooms, whenever they listen or consume this product at the end of the day. And we're really, really proud that we're able to take go into the match. Because here's the other thing, most times only 2,000 people can get into an O.A. and that's a fucking disgrace. Right? The fact that football excludes people is wrong. So if we can take that out to more people, and as Andy said, 15, 20, 30,000 people per game, you know, we think that we're being able to create all of those really, really good things about what going to the match is all about. And so far, you know, we've had some right laps. We've only upset a few people. Um, we've only had, we've only had contact. F- it was only Alan Jones' lawyers that got in touch with us. Um, but apart from that, we've managed to keep it the right side. So you know, we enjoy doing it. We're really, really proud of the feedback that we get, and uh, long may that continue. Great stuff,
0: Steve. Um,
2: quick five questions for you. Your yep. first United game. First United game was in November 1978. Um, I've got a bit of story. I, I, how I became a United fan is slightly, <laughs> I slightly weird because my whole family is City fans. Mum, Dad, our kid—that's my brother—for anybody who's interested in the terminology, aunts, uncles, grandparents, every one of them to a man um, was a Manchester City fan, and they were bringing me up as that. But when my dad left us, and I love my dad, he's one of my idols in life. And, you know, but when he left us, I could take it a little bit personally that he was leaving us. So he took us as a sweetener to a shop to buy me a City kit. And he stood me in front of all of these kicks and I had the choice of three. A blue one, they had a white one with the, like a black and red sash that was pretty smart. And they had a really cool black and red stripe one. And I went all along and This is me age six by the way. This is how twisted and warped I was even at that age. And I pointed it. Do you remember the, the white, is become known as the Jimmy Green up here, it it's a white one with three black admiral stripes down And I said I want that one. And my dad's face <laughs> was an absolute picture. And when I hear a song about my old man, (laughs) it's a beer city fan. And I was able at the age of six to say, fuck off, (laughs) (laughs) bollocks. So I'm glad he finished that off (laughs) while we're saying that one word that we have censored out. But yeah, um, it it was, but the the key thing there, though, to me, that's credit. He took me to World Trafford one week and then he took take me and our kids to Main Road to watch City the following week. So I got to watch United one week and then I got to go and watch City and piss myself laughing at how bad they were. So it was great. So I owe my dad a lot, even though he was a blue. So yeah, it was 1978. Uh, we beat Tottenham 2-0. Um, Sammy McElroy and Andy Ritchie would have goal scorers. Good memory. Um, did I to ask you for your favourite all-time United player? Um, I can't believe mitton said the Cedroy King. Um, Certainly not having seen that statue out on the uh, out on the landing. Anyway, uh, for me, there's only one truly, truly great player in my lifetime, and that's Brian Robson. He made Manchester United. <laughs> the ethos that Alex Ferguson picked up started with Brian Robson. Brian Robson hadn't been able to keep Manchester United afloat. A true one-man team. And let's face it, Brian Robson was a player who had to deal with Graham Mahog behind him and Teddy, Teddy Gibson ahead of him. Right? So he really, really had it tough. Exceptional player, inspiring leader, and he made such, such, such a big impact on what the Manchester United became under Sir Alex Burger. So for me Brian Robson without absolute question. Like Andy, you've followed United all over the world, home and away. Um, what's been your favourite game that you've been at? There's been loads. I think the obvious one, pretty out, People do talk about that semi-final. Uh, Rotterdam was a bigger event for me. Rotterdam was almost like a, a payback for all of those who put over years of misery watching turgid football. Rotterdam was like our big, real big sort of thank you. So Rotterdam always sticks out European-wise. The big game for me that always stands out, because I look for games that don't necessarily stand out for the club, but stand out for fans. I think the night that summarised Manchester United support better than any game ever, and I don't think it's been touched by us or by any other club since. Do you remember when we were two down at Villa Park in the Cup in the third round? And Ruben Van Nistelroen came back and we scored three quite late goals. And it was a seven o'clock kickoff on a Sunday night. Everybody was absolutely mashed. Not one sober person in that canyon, like nine and a half thousand people in the state. Everybody was blitzed. because we've been drinking all that. So we're two down, we go back for it, and there was three pitch invasions, and I've never seen anything like it in all my life. And the story behind me that night was, on the first pitch invasion, I lost a shoe. So off we went back into the stand, and then there was another pitch invasion, and on the second pitch invasion, I found a trainer. So I put this on, and then on the third pitch invasion, which was at full time, um, I runs on the pitch again, and this, at this point, I actually got arrested uh, by the police. And I thought, right, I've got to sober up And then about two hours later, I'm in a custody suite at a police station in Birmingham. And I'm thinking, right, sober up. Just crack on that you're a sensible man, you haven't done anything wrong. And I'm thinking, I'm in control of this. And then I looked down, and I've got a trainer and a shoe on <laughs> in the police station. <laughs> and I'm about to try and prove that I'm not some kind of idiot that goes to sort of football yeah. matches. I got into a bit of trouble that night, not just there, but when I got home as well, because I still have a shoe and the train <laughs> on, so when I walk through the front door, my wife just goes, what's going on here, you know, I'm two days late, and I've got a shoe and a trainer. So. <laughs> <So>, um, <laughs> but yeah, that night there was from up. It's only Manchester United supporters can create that level of atmosphere, and celebrate a third round FA Cup win. Like that, no one else can match our support when it comes to that, so that always sticks yeah. in my memory.
0: Yes. Good so, stuff. Yeah. I'm going to turn to you. Yeah, don't think I can top that one. <laughs> well, should sure give it a go? <laughs> yeah. you, uh, you're in charge of selling the mag, you've been selling the mag for years. Just tell us a little bit about uh, what that's like on a Match Day.
3: Well, I started when I was quite young because I couldn't really afford to go to Old Trafford. We saw, I thought, saw an opportunity to um, fund a season ticket, which I previously couldn't afford. Um, when I started, I, I was that young. I think um, there was a few games where they were that, there was a few games where it was that cold. I think you know, social services should have got involved. It, was, um,
1: <laughs> it was, <laughs>
3: stood outside, in, I think there was a game once against Middlesbrough where, when I got all my checks, what the weather weather was and the temperature and the feels like temperature was minus 24 degrees. So I had been stood outside as a, you know as a young lad there for about 4 hours stationary and you know it, it wasn't nice but it was the only way I could afford to, to start you know um go into every game rather than just three or four a season.
0: Any any funny stories that you've had? I mean, you know, you mentioned a few earlier to me. Tell us a little bit about the times you've had when you've been, especially when you've been away at Wayground selling the magazine.
3: Yeah, well, I, I absolutely love doing it, and I still, still to this day, love doing it. I mean, we've got a team of about eight sellers, and we just all absolutely take the piss out of each other. You know, every, every possibility we can think of, you know, we, we we do it. We've got a lad that's still, um, I, mean, I know he's listening tonight actually, so I wanted to reveal the the sort of um, joke we've been playing on him for weeks. That's um, every time the, the magazines get delivered to my house, I, I take one out, so it's a box of um, fanzines, which I know exactly how many's in. Every time I get to the ground, I make him count them, and he's still not clicked on that every week for the last three months. These ninety-nine fanzines in the, in the box, <laughs> so it's, it's just stuff like that, you know. You can it, it passes the time, and um, also you meet a lot of characters at the match, you know. I mean, he's, he's a lad that I don't, still don't know his name, but for the last like seven years, he's been coming over talking to me, and he, um, he supports Canada football team even though he's English. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't really know how that, that comes about, but you know, he, he follows them all over the world, and you know, he's ended up following Canada away to Venezuela, and you know, and that sort of stuff. So I enjoy hearing from him, but I still don't know his name, and I've, you know, been stood there seven years. Um, these other ones as well. I mean, Andy's had, him, had me doing some incredible stuff over the years, like taking the piss out of me, basically, <laughs> slave driving. You know, it's a, there was a time in 2012 where I came over to Oslo for the friendly at the start of, um, I think it was Alex Ferguson's last season. And I was that skinny, um, I, I, I somehow managed to get 400 magazines over in hand luggage. So you can imagine how heavy that was and how much of a prick I looked in the airport. But um, I'm, I'm lifting these fanzines, yeah. And um, In the end, the, the ladies said, you, you can't come on this plane with all the, those things. So I had to give each United fan on the plane 20 each to carry over for him. Um, I was really skint and, you know, as you all know, even a McDonald's in Norway is quite um, costly <laughs> for an Englishman. So. Um, I decided to buy all my meals in boots in the airport, so for the full trip, I could eat soggy sandwiches.
2: <laughs> hang, hang on, going on <laughs> hang on. Oh, we, here we go. Hang on. I was one of those people right, who you made make space in his luggage. Right? So tell them what really happened with me.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, you only brought two, for sure. well, I, I came <laughs> to
2: Oslo for three days and all I could bring, because I had no room for clothes, was a <laughs> <laughs> Three days I was here with the same clothes. I had 300 fans each, but I had nothing to wear. Yeah. next the year. But when I look back at it, although it was a, an absolute,
3: you know, disgrace having me doing that, but, um, it, it's memories. And that, you know, over the years selling, that I've got absolutely loads of them. You know, we've got we've got sellers who you wouldn't believe the characters. You know, that we've had selling it over the years. We've had we've had people with dementia. You've had, um, <laughs> had people that can't, you know. Out, out with... You've had a seller selling with dementia. <laughs> Why don't I know about this? I like the way you say you don't know about this. <laughs> Just <laughs> get that one out of there. <laughs> no, no, this, this bloke, he was, he was a really nice bloke actually. He was um, called Gary Hartington. <laughs> uh, and um, in the end, he, you know.
4: I hope he's not listening. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He probably won't remember who he is. Anyway. <laughs> 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 I hope he's not listening. No, and no, he's great. not yeah. he is not anyway. Gary,
3: Gary would laugh his head off at of this. And, um, there, was, there was actually once where we went to Anfield and it was um, blazing hot sunshine, about 90 degrees on the day, and um, Gary decided to turn up in his Man United away kit um, without a ticket, but with a leather jacket over the top. Now, um, Gary weren't fortunate in getting a ticket, and he ended up going watching it in the Everton taxi club, which is like low roof and um, really warm. It's not a place you want to be with a leather jacket zipped up, not being able to take it off because you've United shirts underneath, and the, the place is full of Liverpool. Anyway, he, he, he collapses because he's so hot, <laughs> and that, that's the type of man Gary was. If he was a, you know, there, there was a way
2: of finding it. The thing about Gary was as well, though, I and mean, this is this sums up football fan humour, right? He's, Gary, Gary was on our coach. He's a brilliant bloke. He was on our coach coming back from Sunderland after City. Do you remember when City won the league with the last kick of the game? Yeah, where QPR cheated and everything, happened and went against. Um, Gary came on the bus and he said, because obviously he's ill and everybody knew it. And he said, "I'm laughing at you lot because I'll have forgotten about this in the morning. <laughs> you lot will still remember it." <laughs> <laughs> One story I
0: don't want to hear about is Huddersfield. With the away game. Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> How did you know about this? It told <laughs> me last night. <laughs>
3: oh, right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Are you Gary Partington? <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. you got dementia. <laughs> I, I...
3: Oh, right. I'm with you now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, Andy asked me to go, and even though I've not got a ticket for the match, Andy thinks that it's a good idea for me to drive over the motorway and um, to Huddersfield. And sell some magazines for him outside, which is, um, you know, for 20% commission. You know, <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, we, we go over, it's poor. lashing it down we rain, and, you know, we get, we get to kick off, and I've not got in. So, I just think I'm just, you know, Blackie comes over, he's the person who runs the United We Stand coach he said, J- just walk up to the gate confidently with your box and say I've got the extra programmes <laughs> so I walk over to the gate and say I've, I've just got the extra programmes and they let me in <laughs> and people were getting nicked for jumping over fences everything, it was chaos and uh, i just stroll in and say I've got some programmes for the match yeah. Dedication that mate, dedication <laughs> your, Same quickfire
0: questions, your first United game?
3: Um, it was Palace and I, I can't remember the year, it was either 91 or 92 I'm not sure but I know we won. I think it was 2 0 And um, my dad taught me I can't actually remember that much of it. Um, the only thing I do remember was being a bit overwhelmed when I, everybody who's been to Old Trafford for the first time when you walk in, you, you're a bit overwhelmed by the, you know, the tears and stuff like that. And that's what it felt like. It was just a brilliant place. Yeah. Um, your favourite all-time United player? I'm um, split it into two. I'll go favourite and best. I think the best player I've seen at United is Ronaldo. Um, I think my favourite, and I'm not, I'm not playing up to a Norwegian audience here. Um, I, I absolutely loved him. It's Solsha, definitely. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think, I think the reason for that is, is everybody has a, um, everybody has a reason why they, they, like, you know, they fall in love with Manchester United. And I think Solsha epitomises what I would be as a player if I played for United, and it's that fact that he never, let, never got himself down like he was substitute. <laughs> and um, he'd, he'd come on even if he got five minutes and, you know, it, it, it couldn't have happened to a better person to score the goal in the Champions League final. And like, like the rest of the lads, you follow United home and away. What's your favourite memory of watching United? Um, mine, mine's different. I, it's um, Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final. I think it was about 2004. Um, the reason for that was I've never been at a game where the support's impacted the team as much as it did. I just sense something happened in that ground that day where I just thought the, the support absolutely dragged the team to victory, and you know that, that was um, a special, special feeling, definitely.
0: Great stuff. Thanks a lot, Anne. Dave, last but not least, uh-huh. just tell us a little bit about your, your day job because you don't, just sell, you don't just write for the magazine as well, you're a, a football agent. Tell us a little bit about that because you've worked with United lads as well, haven't you?
4: Yeah, I mean, I started out as a, as a journalist a long time ago and grew up in the same part of Manchester as Andy and um, about, I don't know, I, kn- I knew some United players socially going back 15, 16 years and um, I became friendly with a few of them and then we used to have a, a card game every Monday night at my, at my house and it was bizarre because... It just became like kids would be coming out with the phones to film these cars arriving. There was West Brown, Rio Ferdinand, Rooney, all coming to my house to play poker. And everyone thought it was huge, big money we were playing for, and it wasn't. It was four, We'd all put £40 pounds in, get some chips, and it was a three- or four-hour game of poker. But then some of the young lads like uh, started coming along, and when, when you're a bit older, you, you don't realise maybe that you, you've you know a bit more than young, until they start asking, well, how can I get a car, insurance, and, I, and you start saying, yeah, we'll do this, do that, and then I and, and suddenly thought, these haven't got agents, I might as well just, and in, in those days, you, you had to do an exam to um, to be a licensed agent, um, you took an exam through the FA, and you became a FIFA licensed agent, so I did that, and I started doing a few deals, Not at first, not seriously, and then it, it grew, and, and that's what I do now, but, I've known Andy a long time. As I say, we grew up in the same part of Manchester. I, I think I approached you um, yeah. and said, look, I, you know, as a, as a former journalist, I think maybe I can start writing for this 20. It's probably 20, maybe just just under 20 years ago. And it spun on from there, really. Um, and it's just grown and grown. I mean, it's it's become it's become, you know, one of the one of the most widely read magazines and united supporters. Um, and the quality of the people we have writing, selling—it's a, it's a real team, team effort. I couldn't stand in the rain and the snow and sell a fanzine, but a fair, fair play to the lads that do. These guys—I <laughs> wouldn't never do it. I walk past them in my warm coat, All right, yeah, yeah, see you, see you in a bit for a beer. And um, but fair play to them. And, and and there's a there's a passion. We grew up five or six miles from Old Trafford, but to be able to bring that experience or. Doesn't make us a better fan than any of you guys in this room. You're probably, I, I would never get on a plane to fly to Norway and watch Valerenga. I mean, I just wouldn't do it. So, you guys, it's unbelievable that you, you've got that dedication to fly to Manchester. And we we, we, we the Man United family is worldwide. And, you know, to welcome you all to Manchester is brilliant. And we've met some great people over the years from all over the world. Man United has. My first game was in the seventies, and when I look back forty years ago, when I look back, and my dad took me in, what I've experienced, the life, the countries that I've visited, just through Manchester United, the people that I've met, the experiences, it's it's unbelievable. It's like I, you'd never get that as a Stockport County fan or as an Oldham Athletic fan, believe me. And um, you know, to be part of that United We Stand group is is something I'm very proud of. And something that I will always do as, as long as Andy wants us.
0: Well, what's it like as well coming to places like Oslo today this weekend and meeting all you know United fans and seeing how passionate they are?
4: Yeah, I mean we were we were talking and like you you lot probably know a lot more about Man United than I do. You talk about games in the 70s and 80s when you're younger, you remember things a lot more vividly because it's it's something very important to you. But as you get older, and I mean we. Uh, some of the guys we talk about games from 10 years ago and I, I just don't remember them much so, probably probably because some of the things Steve was talking to earlier talking about uh, maybe but um, yeah I mean it, it's brilliant I mean I I, I I, just Manchester United has more of everything and when I say that I mean it has more local supporters it has more uh, Irish supporters has more Scandinavian supporters than anyone else because it's Manchester United and the players come from all over the world, so why shouldn't the fans come from all over the world? Do you know what I mean? Listening to Bojan earlier, you know, um, the, the child of the upbringing he had to, to go to Sweden as a, as a young as a young guy and, and then to have the character to become a player. Like you said, like, how many games did you play for you, you know, you, you say that. That's a, how many times he like, sold the man? Well, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that might be a job offer. Uh, I think that's a job offer uh, right now. But, like... To, to become, um, to be a Manchester United fan is to be a fan of a club that's supported by people all over the world and, and all those fans are, are as good as each other. And I say, to, to, to fly from Norway to watch a, a game of football in England, I think is incredible. It's amazing and fair play to you all for doing it.
1: We appreciate the support of our sponsors and Harry's are one of them who've been with us for a long time. Uh, Harry's make raises. And their story is that for decades, one big razor company relentlessly increased the prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of the customers. So Jeff and Andy, two guys in America, would have fed up of getting ripped off. They started Harry's to fix shaving. They knew there was only one way to ensure quality. So they bought their own factory by taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet. Harry's offers their blades at half the price. They've got really good quality blades. I've received them, they're very nicely packaged and we've got a special offer for Unitegree Stand readers, and you'll receive uh, a weighted ergonomic handled razor with five precision-engineered uh, blades, uh, a shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So get starting shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for three pounds ninety-five. Uh, support our podcast and get the trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge. Foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com/forward/slash/United right now. That's harrys.com/forward/slash/United.
4: He it, it must have got some tickets through work or something, and we were sat in the main stand at the baseball ground. And all I can remember is we won 3-1, and when United scored, my dad jumped up, like you know. I was like, "What are you doing, you madman? Like there's nobody around us. Like we weren't in their way, and we were in the home. And I was like, "Oh my god. <laughs> uh, that's what I remember and uh, I think it was about 1977 or something, but my first game at Old Trafford was 1978 against Everton and Martin Buchan, who was a, a childhood hero of mine, scored a 30-yard goal, he, I think he scored about three goals in his entire career, but he hit, he hit a pile driver and uh, I, I don't even remember the result, I think it was maybe one-all, but it was against Everton in 1978, my first time at Old Trafford. And that's for your all-time your favourite player? Uh, my favourite player of all time um, was was a bit left field because I'm I'm left left-handed, left-footed, and everything. So when I was a kid, Arthur Alwiston, um was the left back of Man United, and uh, for some reason I just thought he was brilliant, and he was my <laughs> first childhood hit. And he seemed to play every game, and he played for like ten years, and I think I don't. Is a it's good, a good, yeah, well and he he's my my childhood hero, I think. Um and I met, I've met him since, and he's a golf fanatic, which is great, because so am I. And he's a lot better than me, <laughs> which is annoying. But, um, but yeah, Arthur Albiston was my... F- uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is hands down the best player I've ever seen yes, at Man United. Yes, yes. But as uh, a favourite player was Arthur Alberston. And I don't think there's anyone else on the planet, from Norway, Manchester, <laughs> Australia, that would say Arthur Albiston So I'm happy. Yeah, playing.
0: he's a good yeah, player. Yeah, someone agrees. Yeah. Um, final question. You, you, like the rest of the lads, you've travelled all over the world watching United. What's been your, your favourite match to, to have been at your favourite memory?
4: Well, again, Steve mentioned it earlier, and I thought he was going to go for it, and I was I was pleased that he didn't because I can talk about it now. But when uh, we got we were talking about this with Lee earlier, the the ban on European football for English clubs came in at a time when I started going as a regular supporter, and so when we got back into Europe after winning the FA Cup in 1990, we got in the Cup Winners' Cup and to uh, start watching European football again Uh, but to be able to go away with your mates watching United abroad so I went to two of the away games in in that uh, European Cup winner's cup season which was Montpellier and then the final in Rotterdam where we spent five days in Amsterdam and there's an 18 19 year old to spend five days in Amsterdam is Quite an experience, and it was a bit of an eye-opener in more ways than one and to go away watching your team that you've grown up with with your mates to a foreign city to win a trophy against a side like Barcelona you got to remember as well in those days there was no internet there was no mobile phones so you didn't know that these were like mythical legends from a land far away, you know, it's Barcelona, it's ridiculous to say that, but you'd only see them every now and again on the TV, the big 10-minute highlights package, you'd say to your mates, we'll meet you in such a street, first pub on the right, and if they weren't there within half an hour, you'd go to the other end of the street and the last pub on the left, because that was how you arranged yeah, to meet yeah, people, yeah, yeah. You, you had no mobile phones, there was no none of that. So, to be... Um, To be a 19-year-old in 1990, Manchester was unbelievable back then. I mean, it's a great city, but back then, the music, the the culture, the football, everything was just, to be an 18, 19-year-old, probably the luckiest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, to be that age at that time, to be from that city and live in that city at the time. So to go away with your mates watching a club win a European trophy, which we hadn't done since 1968, obviously since then it's been a lot lot more success but back then that was like wow we just won a European uh, trophy in a foreign city and I've been there with my mates and I wish I could remember more of it but Amsterdam five days (laughs) takes its toll Um, but that game undoubtedly for me and and United fans were singing a song by a Manchester band called James all night it was pouring rain didn't matter brilliant absolutely that's my favorite game and Obviously winning the European Cup, winning the treble, but that, that ex- the whole experience of that trip and the first time watching United win a European trophy in my life, it's just, I, I'll never beat that. Great, great memories. I'm just gonna ask
0: some questions to all you guys. You know, you, you talk about United We Stand, you talk about the magazine, you talk about writing for it for, for free. You're obviously very passionate about it. Why do you think it's so important to have a magazine like United We Stand to have that? You know, for fans to not just read but to contribute to as well.
1: Dave's the only one who writes for free. <laughs> <laughs> I've recently I just learned this. And I've and offered him money <laughs> and he's not me back several times. I see the
4: editor turn up in designer clothes everywhere. I mean, <laughs> he lives in a palace in Barcelona. And everyone now, but um, Andy, Andy and sends us
2: checks that have got the wrong date on. Yeah,
4: <laughs> so that's why there's no point in cashing. Right? Who uses checks. Yeah, and stuff, Andy yeah. is the only person <laughs> who still uses checks. He's like the Queen. He never carries cash. Post- postal, postal orders. But but um, <laughs> uh, going back to to United, we stand as a as a. Well, Andy's probably a better place to answer this. But I just think it's it's a very good melting pot of different people, different cultures, different backgrounds, uh, but all under one umbrella, which is Manchester United. So. I think Andy can say this better than me, but if you want to write something and you feel strongly about a topic and you have got time to sit down and pen an article, he will consider it to be written. And it's not It's not something that's closed off to people. It's, it's a magazine that is welcome, um, you know, articles or points of view from anyone, wherever you are, whoever you are, and as long as it's interesting. Some of the stuff I've learned, you know, there's a guy that, Wrote about famous murders in Manchester. But, <laughs> I mean, you've got to be a kind of sort of an individual to turn up at the graveyard, read a grave yeah. sign, and then go and Stanley. research the the yeah. murder. You're great, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating yeah. stuff, I'm and and you know, and that's all because we support Man United. He supports Bolton, actually, no? not he? Yeah. But anyway, um, United have got this great
1: community of fans around around the world, and. As Steve said, some of Manchester United's greatest fans are from nowhere near Manchester, and we try and reflect that. I'm looking at the stuff in the next issue, and a man sent an article in about his child being stillborn, and it's horrible to read. And he goes to the next game, and people who he's known for years just start coming up to him and hugging him, and he doesn't know the names of any of them. And I think that community, that United community... And there's so many communities, winning communities, like the lads who go on the bus to the matches and have a good time. And just people you know at the game. And as Ant said, you just know, you don't even know the names, you just know them as all right, mate. And I think it's really important. There's a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of pride in in that community. And we try and reflect that. Ray Wilkins died recently. And the best thing I read on him was a guy sent a piece into United We Stand. He bumped into him recently. And just went for a pint with ray wilkins and it was such a simple innocent story there was no sensationalism about it and for me it said more about ray wilkins than anything that i'd written or people had j- journalists had written i think we've got a community and we've got to protect that and united's changing all the time there's fans all around the world and there's good and there's bad and i see people obsessed by transfers and We'll have some question and answers um, later on, but at the heart of it, and at the heart of the club, you know, United's you know, a huge corporation, but at the heart of the club, there's really good people working, um, who've worked for 20, 30, 40 years, and we all know them. There's a great, there's a great football club there, and I think there's a great fan base there as well. I think we should be very, very proud of that. Yeah, I um,
2: A long time ago, I wrote an article in the magazine. And it was quite a brave thing to do. or are stupid, whichever. Often the same thing. Um, I really went to town on Roy Keane, one of United's greatest ever players. And I don't dispute the fact. Do you great, do you know. <laughs> I don't dispute the fact he was one of United's greatest ever players. I just don't like him, and I don't like him for this reason. And that's because I don't like people who slack the teammates off. I don't like people who slack the managers off. And I don't like people who slag the fans. Of. Off and off, off and right. Off. So. I'm not saying that they were right. He was right. I was wrong. That was just my opinion. And I did a piece about this. Yeah. I sent it in to Andy, and Andy said, in his usual school headmaster kind of way, um, I don't agree with 90% of what you've written, but I agree 100% in your right to have that opinion, and therefore that's why it's going in the magazine. <laughs> I, Uh, That's you, the freedom of press. Judge you, well, judge by what happened, once it had done a print, I wish he had kicked it out. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the point I was trying to make though is this: fanzine culture is about an opinion. It's not about right or wrong. You know, the guy here was saying the greatest, I don't agree with him. But I'm not saying I'm right. He's, he could be right. I could be wrong. But the beauty of having an opinion and a platform to express that is what fanzine culture which United We Stand has been an absolute pioneer of and that's a really, really important part because there's too many things in football where we don't get a say, we don't get a voice, we don't get an opinion, and that's why United We Stand and Fancy Cultures are so 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 important. And I think Dave's point there about the fact that our writers can come from anywhere. There's people in this room, send your stuff in. Yeah. Use the platforms, use the vehicles that are available to you. Because as we often say, you know, it's about having a platform for your opinion. Don't worry about being right or wrong. It's not about that. It's about having that opinion and the right to express that. And I think that's what fanzine culture is all about, and that's why it's so, so, so important that fanzines last and stand the test of time.
0: Nice one, Steve. Well said. Yeah. Just before, just before we wrap up, I'm just going to ask you. Going back to the, the stand, who was the
1: first person you ever interviewed for United stand? Can you remember? Um, It was a man called uh, Alex Ferguson. (laughs) And um, I was a young person pretending to be a journalist and wrote a letter to Old Trafford saying, I want to interview you, this is our fanzine, and I'll meet you in Norway, because we're playing there pre-season in 92. And Ferguson wrote back and said, I don't like fanzines, but I like United We Stand. Make yourself known to me on the pre-season tour of Norway and we can sit down and have a chat. After a game in Lillestrom, I went up to the changing rooms and knocked on the door of the changing rooms and said, I've come to see Alex Ferguson. And this now would never happen because of the security, and United's so big. And the door opened and I could see all these players through a haze of steam. And Ferguson said, now's not the time, son. Let's do it at the next game in Trondheim. (laughs) So we went to Trondheim. (laughs) <laughs> on we travelled north on rail tickets which may have not have been entirely legitimate for the norwegian in the eyes of the norwegian state rail company and went to the team hotel in trondheim and i just invited my friends to come along because i just thought i didn't i never interviewed anybody but right. well, that's All what right. you do bring your mates <laughs> went into the best hotel in trondheim i didn't have anything to record it one of my friends had a big red tape to tape ghetto blaster I put it on the table in front of Ferguson I pressed record he started laughing at me as if to say who is this idiot I interviewed him for an hour, I asked him terrible questions what a waste of an opportunity I've got Ferguson in front of me and after an hour I tell him I've got to go because I've got to go and meet one of my mates (laughs) and I leave him (laughs) <laughs> and I you just regret blast. it to this day, I walk out the hotel with my ghetto blaster, Steve Bruce slides down the stairs because Linford Christie just won gold in the Barcelona Olympic Games and I walk out onto the streets of Trondheim with the worst interview that any journalist has ever done.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was our first interview in answer to your question, this uh, pretty, pretty impressive
0: first interview. Um, we are going to wrap it up, but before we wrap it up, this is the United Weak Stand podcast, and I know you have the question that you always ask. The yeah, one that you ask Bojan, sure. yes, about being bummed by a horse. Now, I've got to make sure I get this right. Would you rather be bummed by a horse, and no-one knew about it, or not bummed by a horse, and everyone thought that you had been? So, I'll let you kick off
1: with that. Sharpie's getting his answer ready here, isn't he? We've got, we've got an even running. harder one for him. <laughs>
0: Go on. <laughs> oh,
3: God. I think I'll just agree with Bowyer. Yeah, you might think I'm weird otherwise.
1: thought <laughs> so the best way. What is it? What's your answer? Just say it.
3: I would not be bummed by a horse, but I don't care what people think.
1: <laughs> Andy. Would you let the bloke out the calls bum <laughs> you if, if you had a crack at his three sisters? No. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> A happily married man.
4: Sorry. But,
1: right, the horse question. I don't know, Steve.
4: Well, yeah, well, hey, you like well, horses, I do horses. Well, yeah. You like horses? There we go. I do like horses, but um, not in that way. As long as it's fist or crack. Yeah. No. Well, I think I, I love
2: horse racing. It's my. That's actually no. the biggest <laughs> passion. It is a, my biggest passion as United. So, horse racing. Horse racing. Not the trotting stuff that you. No, like. no. <laughs> um, there's
0: a horse called
2: Frankel, it was the greatest horse. <laughs> 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 You've actually got a horse pit,
0: <laughs> 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 it can bump
4: me. So, so <laughs> it's it the, Monroe, the <laughs> it, 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 won, it won
2: every race it ever ran it was the greatest,
4: the fastest horse that's ever lived. So, if the horse was uh, (laughs) Franco, I'd probably, I would let it bum me, and
0: I'd tell fucking everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think, you know what? I think that's that's the best place to end that. that. I (laughs) think it's sort (laughs) of... Guys, it's been great listening to all your stories and why you're so passionate about United and the magazine. Put your hands together for United and the stand, lads.
1: So, that was that from the podcast from Oslo. We've finished the season for Mags now. We've just sent the summer issue to the printers, it's got 60 pages. Um, we question whether we should do one or not, but we asked you, and an overwhelming number of you asked us to produce a summer mag, so there's loads and loads of good stuff in there, some really interesting interviews there, some in-depth reading, and people with really good stories that haven't been told before, and I've looked through the whole issue, and I'm pretty pleased with it, and hopefully it will go well, and that you'll support it. We had a brilliant response on Sunday from people ordering it, and we... It is the one issue of the season where we'll post out individual copies. So if you want to order one, the mag comes out on the 20th of June. You need to be ordering it by the 18th of June. And go to uwsonline.com for more details. You could look on my Twitter at Andy Mitten. And I've pinned it at the top there. Or you can look on the United We Stand website as well. And you can pay within a couple of clicks and we'll post you a copy out. Or, if especially if you're living abroad outside the UK, the cheapest way um, is to order a digital edition. And that can be downloaded onto your phone, onto your iPad. I think it's six ninety nine per quarter. So that'll get you free issues um, during that time through. So have a look at it and we'll be back with some more podcasts in the summer. Uh, I'm going to go and do the, the full United preseason, so I'm going to go to America on the 15th, 16th of July. But we will be doing some podcasts uh, before then, just not with the frequency that we've been doing them throughout the, the football season. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to the latest United We Stand podcast brought to you by Red Army Bet. We offer the best available odds on a United win, as well as a host of special bets created by Reds. With half our net profits being donated to United supporters groups, Red Army Bet is about fans, by fans, for fans. Check out our website, redarmybet.com, or download the app, Red Army Bet. We all follow United.